0: listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 342. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss season two, episode three of the YouTube science fiction series, Impulse. And, uh, dude, it just gets warmer
1: every time I leave the house. Yeah. It's February. I know. It's it's insane. But uh, the other day, uh, we were actually able to go out and um, rake up the leaves that uh, we didn't get. You know, it always... You know, once it gets cold, obviously your, um, your your motivation to rake leaves goes down. And then we always get like the, the last dumping of leaves usually happens, you know, when we're solidly into winter. Um, but then yesterday was like spring. So let's, hey, let's go out and finish up the leaves. So. Well, I, I see, I envision
0: the conversation going something like this. Hey, dad, it's really nice outside. Maybe we should go out and rake leaves. What do you think? Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's it's almost verbatim. How Actually, it's funny, okay. man. Were you like listening in on us or something?
0: Yeah, I'm telling you. So, yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's great. I, I again having coached for as long as I did, and and even though you're not coaching in high school anymore, you're still coaching, and, and just the appreciation for what the weather is generally like on March 1st, which is the beginning of our spring season. Yeah oh, my God, these spring coaches got to just be giddy. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it always sucked. I mean, because you you coach softball. So, I mean, yeah, those first couple weeks of the spring were were miserable most of the time. Right. And,
0: I mean, anybody that played for me or or saw what I did coach-wise knew we were going outside regardless. So. 25 degrees does not matter we were going outside right. i mean we did our work inside as well but uh dude keith has to be psyched <laughs> because yeah. again for somebody that rain snow sleet hail hurricane didn't matter keith's going out
1: yep yeah definitely so, well we got turf now too so there's even less excuse to to not go out you know right so all right well
0: enough about the sports talk uh you know, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. It's probably been a couple of weeks since we thanked you guys, and you know, we've mentioned we have a Patreon account to help defray some of the costs of producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. So, if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can either go to the website Sci-Fi TV Rewatch dot dot com, and there's a link to the right. Or you can go straight to the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch. And there's a little write up about, um, you know, what we try to do for our patrons. So if you're interested, uh, go ahead and check it out. So we have been doing our tip of the week, what we're watching. And I made some comments last week about season two of lost in space so uh, as i mentioned to you in my brief facebook message uh, i'm kind of ready to pull back and and at first i thought i'm going to take back everything i said about lost in space season two and and that's not quite true i'm not going to pull back everything but it really was an enjoyable race to the finish Uh and and having read a lot online and a lot of the hate that comes from sci-fi fans I think is totally unwarranted because I I think people lose sight of the fact that Lost in Space is not aimed at hardcore sci-fi fans. If you want that, go to The Expanse. Well, exactly. And it's about family more than it is about the science. Uh And I know you tried to get me to understand that and, and I finally come around. And I think when you look at the family dynamic, not only within the Robinson family, but some of the other families as well. Sure. And, and Dr. Smith, who, again, we don't know what to make of her. And, right. And I don't want to, you know, cover any spoiler. Yeah. There's a pretty here. big
1: spoiler. So she probably it, you know, well, let that go, but it is,
0: Yeah. I mean, it is or it isn't and I'll just leave
1: it at that right. about right. the
0: end, but, but certainly Dr. Smith, uh, kind of opining about her lack of family and of course you say well boy why don't you do something to get a family to want you but (laughs) um you know there it is now i do still take issue and and again you would tell me well it's a family show you have to deal with this aspect that there are no real stakes for any of the robinsons or don west for that matter but okay fine i'm over it You know, so I am looking forward to season three. It's been a fun ride and, you know, we'll see.
1: Right. And I agree, like with everything you said, basically. And, and like I said before, you know, it's like, it's absolutely true. Like we're never really under the impression that any of the Robinsons are going to actually die, but you know, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, in the throwback to the TV show, which is what they did every week, you know, like put them in some kind of peril but you knew they were gonna make it and everything's gonna be okay. But it was just really yeah, you know, we, we really care about these characters though, is the thing. You know, and it's almost yeah, like absolutely. it's almost like a little security blanket that we know I really care about these characters, and so nothing really too terrible is gonna happen to them. You know, they're gonna make it through, so I don't have to be anxious as much. I'm still anxious for them, but you know everything. Yeah. So uh- yeah.
0: Right. And they're all likable. Yeah, they're so, all likable. Right, great week?
1: kids, you know, like it's they they're funny, they 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 work together as a family. You know, it's just it's a lot. I just I really like Lost in Space. And and yeah, you know, yeah. and is it perfect? No. Is it enjoyable? Absolutely. Yep. Um so. so I have I, I went after I caught up on Lost in Space, I went and got caught up on season 1 of Altered Carbon.
0: Oh, nice. I yeah. wish I had the time or the desire to it's do that. It's so I worth
1: it. It was so I was so glad I did cuz was it's such a complex show and I know I didn't quite understand everything 100% the first time around. So, it was worth it just for that to kind of, you know, go back through and 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 like just remember what the heck was going on. But then also, like, you know, we talked about uh, last week, we didn't really, we didn't really talk about it, we were, you know, um, but the, the email had said, I believe it was Richard, right, who had said that, um, you know, about what, what is the characteristic of a binge-worthy show. And I'm almost like, well, Altered Carbon, like, is, you know, it just clicks, like, on so many levels. Yeah, it was just, it was it was great. I, I was so glad I went back and watched it again you know, for the understanding, but also just it's just such a great show. And, and, you know, in answer to, like, what is the most important characteristic of a binge-worthy show, I would say, like Lost in Space, like Altered Carbon, you got to have characters. It's got to all begin and end with the – well, not necessarily end, but sort of begins with the characters. And if you can build characters that the audience – really likes and gets into and can root for then that's going to be probably the biggest thing to get that person to click you know watch the next episode at the end of each one
0: yeah i mean i agree and and the compelling nature of characters is also something that we can approach from different angles because of course it's easy in most cases to be drawn to likable characters and that's one of the things with henry coles in impulse is that she has been sort of unlikable her attitude Uh, especially in this episode well yeah but again you try to understand that said there is that something that draws us to her character and then other various characters draw us in for various reasons you know maybe it's we see something of ourselves in that character or or somebody that we know uh, so yeah i agree 100% we've got to have the characters i mean if we don't like them and certainly we've run across shows where i just don't like anybody in the show yeah. and i stop watching i don't care how intricate the plot lines get or interesting they get if i don't like anybody in it i'm not gonna watch it and uh, i mean there certainly have been shows that that i've been faced with that that was you know something difficult for me i mean that was kind of the star trek discovery i didn't like anybody in it at all
1: Mm.
0: and you know you might say well you need to give it more than three episodes i don't know i mean if in three episodes I can't connect to any of the characters
1: right you know it's funny because I know when we we started this um you know we used we would preach you know you got to really give a show time sometimes shows develop and everything but it's really gotten to a point in today's day and age that that's not the case man like you, you can't have a show a show can't have a slow burn you know you have to draw the audience in right away or they're gone right right no, right.
0: now i mean obviously one of the things a binge worthy show's got to have is some sort of central mystery yes that you just have to know what the hell's going on right and sometimes it's it's these little mysteries that dot the landscape early on and lead up to a bigger mystery and yeah i'm talking about you dar yeah right <laughs> um, uh, And, you know, even a show like Lost, which, you know, even with its flaws, I think, uh, you know, if we were looking at it in this day and age, uh, most people would binge it for sure. And I think anybody new to Lost, I don't know how they could help but binge it.
1: Yeah. So. uh, Well, I know I I um, did because you told me I should watch Lost and I started and I just, I fell down that hole for months. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the
0: other thing for me, and I've mentioned my lack of attention span at this point, I'm, I'm more inclined to binge a show that has shorter episode lengths so that if the show is, I'm making air quotes, normal length, 42 to 44 minutes, I'm much more inclined to binging it. As opposed to a show that maybe is on HBO or Showtime right. in which the episodes are 60 minutes. Right.
1: Well, Hunters might not be for you then.
0: Well, it, it might be for me, just I'm not going to probably binge it. Ah, okay. You know, I might go an episode or two a day right. at most, but I'm um, not saying I, you know, I'm not going to watch those shows. I'm just not going to sit down and watch three, four episodes in a sitting. Gotcha.
1: Well, yeah, well, so. that's that's tough if they're an hour long episode, right? So, so much easier when you know, that that fifteen minute difference is is you know it does make a difference, but yeah, but yeah. you know it's it's so, so funny because you know like you said, I mean, the shows you mentioned certainly, altered carbon again with a central mystery, big one. Um, I would say, and I know you saw this Babylon Berlin, was a super like bingeable show. Like that dude season three is coming in a week less than a week oh man i just found that out it's like 28th of february I no believe. way that yes. that is a show every time i'm like man they're gonna i don't even know if they're gonna do another episode another season but i really hope they do because that that was a great show and i burned through that show well february 28th season three Ah i don't have to, uh ultra carbon season two is coming out I, i'm gonna <laughs> definitely have to go back and watch seasons one and two of babylon berlin right so yeah uh, it'll be there for you yep yeah. so all
0: right you want to move on to impulse uh sure all right well we're talking about episode three of season two titled for those lost written by nicole beckwith Directed by Alex Kalimnios, who directed episode two of season one, State of Mind, and that was an episode we liked, so that's always good. But, you know,
1: one of the things that well, strikes me about- Well, I got a quick, quick about, do you know, Did this dude ever do, did he do any Mr. Robot episodes? I don't know, to tell you the truth. Because you know how, like, Mr. Robot will film characters from, like, basically just below the neck up? And like shows, it's like supposed to be like this metaphorical, like the world, like bearing down on them and everything. I I noticed a couple shots like that in this episode. I'm like, "Eh, that's like a little Mr. Robot shot there. So I was just wondering if the uh, director, I wasn't wondering enough to actually go and look, but I did wonder.
0: Well, actually it's a she. So it's, uh, Alex is a female in this case, but but she, she, I
1: don't think I, I, did I go gender on that one? Maybe I did.
0: Um, well, I think generally it's, I guess there's Alexandra, but, uh, she's directed a number of episodes of the hundred. All right. But you know, one of the things that strikes me about this episode is it seems like it's a tale of confrontations, past, present, and future. And, and, you know, the episode title for those lost, well, that pretty much speaks to every character in the darn show at this point, because everyone is lost in their own way i i think to a certain extent thomas is the one that is most firmly grounded right. you know he feels like he loves cleo uh he i don't want to say has gotten over his wife but he's entirely comfortable with talking to his daughter about her and encouraging her to Go back and explore what your mother was like, and, and and you know that's very refreshing because you can understand maybe somebody that wants to leave the past in the past, but but he's not like that. But for everybody else, their paths have become muddied, which I can't then help but think about Henry's situation and and the dreams, and that it always seems like she's, you know, moving through the mud and.
1: uh, Yeah, I think think this show gets the award of the most obvious metaphors in one episode of anything ever award.
0: Well, you're probably right about that. So uh, as long as we're talking about Henry, I mean, it's her search for her father. And I guess to a lesser extent, a search for maybe not her purpose, but. You know, where she sees her life, well, her identity,
1: the... certainly.
0: Yeah, yeah, because she thought she knew who she was. Now she's got this power and is learning to control it. But her mentor, at first, seems to be the antithesis of everything she's been about. She sees him as an enemy. And I think we're establishing slowly, which I think is a good thing from a narrative perspective. We're learning that maybe he is really on her side.
1: Uh, But then this episode, maybe not so much though.
0: Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but um, you know, the opening scene, she finds herself in the forest. It's pouring rain. She finds what she thinks is her father's campsite. And this becomes that recurring motif. And obviously, the question becomes, what's real and what's not real? I mean, she finds the playing card, the wooden sword, the family photo, and she puts the family photo in her pocket. And then when she teleports back to her bedroom, she's all muddy. And we're thinking like, all right, well, was that real? Did she teleport to somewhere in the present?
1: Well, well, and- well, right, but the, the thing is, so it's really, and when she tries to explain it, it's confusing because, yeah, she went to a place, she got money, she teleported back, there's mud all over, but also she was getting, like, supernaturally drawn to Clay's truck that was somehow there. And so it's like, it's a dream, but it's real too. And You know, I mean, part of this, I, I, I assume this will end up being important and significant and something like that. But right now, it just seems like it's it's just, I don't know. I'm just not down with it. Like, you know, it's like I, I got that, okay, she can teleport. But now she teleports into dreams that are real and she teleports back. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just a little well, it, too screwy at this point. It,
0: it's kind of muddied, if you will. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, she... Searches her pocket once she's back in her bedroom and the photo's not there. So I I know that's kind of what you're getting at. What are we supposed to make of that? It It seems as if it's part dream, part teleportation into a reality. I think I brought up a few weeks back. Is there a possibility that she can also teleport through time? I mean, we don't really have any evidence of that yet, so I don't. I don't want to. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, just with Clay's truck, Clay's truck is not there, right? Clay's truck is in in Nikolai's, you know, hideout there or whatever. So, you know, that clearly indicates that this is not "quote unquote" reality, but yet, you know, like you said, she's covered in mud head to toe, when she gets back yeah well you know the scene i
0: did like for its realism i think we always talk about high school she's in class taking a test and she hears clay berating her for the accident and, and i find significant that he calls her a monster which from my perspective is how she sees herself at this point yeah and it just manifests itself through sure clay but sh- she gets up gives the teacher her test and the teacher's like you know this is 40 percent of your grade and clearly she didn't finish and she just walks out and so many times i mean you know uh the teacher played by Donnie hendrix can't think of the actor's name christian something or other from orphan black yeah. when he like goes ballistic it's like come on i mean uh, you know if a kid comes up like that hands me the test i'm like yeah, i got 30 other kids <laughs> they are there
1: yeah but usually so, you don't let the kid just walk out of the classroom after that they still i was like hey you still have to stay in class you know well, if you want to put your yeah. head down because you don't want to take the test fine but yeah you can't but you're just not gonna chase out. after nah.
0: yeah but you're not gonna chase after you're probably just gonna jot it down and deal with it yeah you know when you get a chance but uh the other thing though that scene at the pizza place and it's almost like she's now resigned to working with Nikolai. So what happens now? And on the one hand, she's still acting like a little brat, but at least she eats the pizza. And I start wondering when he spits out his pizza, are his taste buds affected by his teleportation? Because this is not the first time we've seen that. He was in that diner. And I don't know about you, dude, but most of that food at that diner looks pretty tasty to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and he spits it out. And I just wonder whether that's somehow connected.
1: Right, because, I mean, clearly he is, you know, originally from Europe. The other possibility is his, wherever he's from, his his tastes are, you know, used to food from wherever he's from. But I'm like, but pizza? Pizza is yeah, right. like exactly. universal. The universal right? food. You know, yep. you can't unless he was like some high-end food critic or something like that, like everyone likes pizza. And there's really, I mean, I I actually, there is a place by my home that makes bad pizza. And I'd always said there's no such thing as a bad pizza, but that's not true. But anyway, that pizza did not look like a bad pizza. It looked like pretty standard-issue pizza, but he spits it out. like So I I agree with you that that somehow – because of the teleportation, because of the little injection he has to give himself, that um, it's affected him that he can't really eat. Right.
0: Now, we do get some uh, clarity on where she traveled, and while it doesn't turn out to be India, it's pretty darn close in that she went to Sri Lanka with Bill's arm. But the question is, why Sri Lanka? Yeah. I guess doubt whether she has any kind of a conscious connection to that part of the world and that country specifically. So so certainly that's a question that's still out there. But ever pragmatic, he recognizes that Bill's gun is gone and he's worried about how good a cop is Anna Holche. And Fred brings that up in his feedback about you know, how much should Nikolai be worried about Anna? Well, and
1: uh, I'm sorry continue you. No, go ahead. I said well, if he's worried about her, he shouldn't lie in the middle of the street, disappear, try to run her down with the car and then disappear again.
0: Well, that's true and I mean that that does though present another problem. For Anna, let's hold table that for a second. We'll we'll get to her in a couple minutes, because that's I I think sets up another scenario that I don't want to say Nikolai didn't consider because he's been at this long enough that I'm sure he did. But we don't see a whole lot of Henry Towns and Jenna, but that scene where Towns is really getting upset because things do seem to be spiraling out of control. Again, these are sixteen year old kids. He suddenly regains control and and points out that the central connection here is that her dad is always there. And then he just runs out of the room and Jenna's trying to pick up the pieces about what's going on. But, you know, again, in many ways, Jenna is the voice of reason that, you know, you're bent on finding your father and that's understandable. But. You might want to reconsider he might not be who you think he is.
1: Right. Well, yeah, she definitely has a romanticized version of Simon in her head. That's actually part of the problem, right? Like why she's so awful to her mother and to Jenna and everything. You talked before about unlikable characters. And Henry, to me, in this episode was really super unlikable. So much so that if, if I it, I don't know if we weren't podcasting on this I don't know if I would have made it past this one and I know to oh. to an answer to that and not that it was really a bad episode because it wasn't but just the main character every now and then they just have her just be awful to everyone and she's completely unlikable and and that goes to our our you know your basic tenets of creating a show. Are you going to create a show where your character really is almost, in the the course of one episode, I'd say, almost irredeemably unlikable? Almost every single, single interaction she has with another human being, she's just horrible in it? And we're supposed to then root for this person? It's like, no. Like, I'm actually kind of rooting against her.
0: Well, the interesting thing is the relationship with her mother, it almost takes like a 360-degree turn in this episode because when Henry starts showing interest in her father, and like Thomas, Cleo seems to be open to telling Henry what she knows. Of course, we learn during the course of the episode that mom's holding back, but she does say, well, you know what? I did leave a box of our stuff with a friend in Massachusetts and— you know, we could go there and get it. And Henry's like, well, how about tomorrow? And they do leave the next day. And it's this really, what looks to be a lot of fun road trip, mother, daughter, they got a boatload of snacks. She finds one of her mother's old CDs from her singing career. And there's that exchange. Mom puts the kibosh on popping that in the, in the CD. They're smiling, driving down the road, eating junk food. But obviously that's going to change because Henry feels like her, her mother's really betrayed her trust by keeping all of these things from her. Not the least of which is that she's still married to her father, Simon.
1: Right. But in the long run, it's like, you know, I, like I get Henry's a teenager and what they're trying to show is she can be unreasonable at times, right? Cause she's a teenager. She's 16 years old, but they just go out of their way in this episode to make her completely unreasonable, like almost the whole time, and except for when she calms towns down. I think that's the only time I can think of her not being well. And, and, and well, like you said, and the, the the early road trip with her mom, you know, it's it's just she she moves from being like, oh, they're trying to create a realistic teenager to like, no, that no, it's no longer a realistic teenager. It's it's a caricature of a teenager. It's like, if you haven't been 16 in a while, it's what you think 16 year olds are like. And, and they're not just completely unreasonable and uh, oppositional 24 seven. Like they are for a little bit and then they feel bad and then they apologize and stuff like that. You know, like, well, right.
0: And the ride home contrasts against the ride to Massachusetts. And now Henry, is even more confrontational about why her mother didn't look for her father after he disappeared. Now, we know Henry knows the truth. Cleo honestly thinks he abandoned the family. That's not what happened. He didn't leave, Henry tells her. And, and, and of course, she has to stop there. She can't tell right. her mother the truth. So,
1: But then why does she go there? You know, It's like, wait, because she, she's tearing into Cleo for something Cleo doesn't know. You know, and that's what I'm saying about being unrealistically unreasonable, right? She knows that the story she knows that her mother left her in her dad's care and she came back and the dad was gone and the kid was there by herself. So what else was Cleo gonna do, Henry? Oh, chase after the guy who just in her to what to in all appearances up and abandoned his child? Like, are you kidding? Like, it's just so, like, ridiculous that, and it's not the fact that she doesn't blow up here. Because, again, you want to try to create a realistic teenager, they're going to have blowups. They're going to have emotional outbursts. But, you know, really, I don't think it would take Henry Long to just say, well, you know what, from my mom's perspective, she was trying to protect me. and I should probably, you know, make amends here. But it doesn't happen.
0: No, and that's a fair assessment. I, you know, I mean, she is old enough to know better to, yeah. u- to use a trite phrase. Right.
1: And, and so, so just it, it, it really got, not that like, again, like just cause they're trying to create this caricature of the, of the pissed off 16 year old teenager. And it was just, it just got to be too much, you know, okay. like you gotta, you gotta well, make your character redeeming and throughout the series. Yes, of course. There are times that she's redeeming, times we root for, her. but this is like was my problem with her in the first episode. Like it's just a kid who's just pouting and bitching all the time, and is is not likable.
0: Well, I think we have to be more understanding because I didn't appear as if she had any weed in this episode. So, oh, she did. Oh, she did. Yeah. Did I just miss it
1: when okay. she uh, when she left the test? She threw on her headphones, popped in the joint, and walked out of school
0: all right you're right so <laughs> well well i think we do though have to look at the contents of the box because that might be the most uh meaningful point of this episode she pulls out the nirvana t-shirt
1: yep. I, got, I love simon because yes
0: that. and then pulls out a pack of playing cards which immediately makes us think about the playing card that she finds at the campsite in the rain yep but it's the notebook that i think is most important it seems to have a lot of calculations data records i think fred mentions in his feedback that uh, perhaps it's dates and times of seizures that he had so you know whether teleportation came to him later in life we don't know and that may be not even be what it is i didn't really freeze it to to go ahead and look but we do see that one drawing or actually two drawings side by side of what appear to be the same room right one labeled theirs one labeled mine i mean what do you make of that
1: well i we we know what it is because we saw it already when dominic uh, okay. was in the laboratory and they had recreated his room um, but it wasn't his room Okay,
0: so then he's thinking back to earlier experiences because at this point he's an adult. He's not confined to this hospital or whatever it would be as as we see the 16-year-old Dominic. And yeah, that's certainly how I perceived it. And there did seem to be a few little differences in the two drawings. And, And of course, as you say, Dominic mentions that oh, it's just like my room at home. And and obviously that was, that was the whole point, but you know, there's something in that, that notebook. And again, seeing the theirs and mine, maybe I want to think like, it's going to turn out to be something like counterpart where we've got the, you know, the parallel worlds. I mean, probably not, but a guy can hope, you know, You started to mention Halche in in the earlier discussion. I wanted to hold off for a little bit because Halche's pursuit of the truth. and, And I think what we have to ask, and again, Fred's implying this in his feedback, is it enough that it's going to get her killed by Nikolai? And we first see her call the number on Nikolai's business card, his business card as the insurance adjuster. And it goes to one of the cleanup guys in the van, and he's got a script, and and he's terrible. (laughs) He's not going to get that corner office, you know? No, I don't think so. Yeah, unless he hides booze in everybody's desk. (laughs) Then later, she's at the diner. He walks in. Do you think he does that on purpose? Is it a coincidence that he just happened to walk in? Yeah,
1: you just really get a feeling with Nikolai. There's there's no such thing as coincidence, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. And she pries him with questions, and I love his response. Well, this job's turned out to be more complicated than usual. And, right, it was like the uh, most course-
1: subtext conversation ever because neither of them is saying outright what they really mean and they're just both hiding behind these false smiles
0: right and they're bobbing and weaving as he tries to find out what's going on with the bill investigation and she's trying to find out what's really going on with him both suspicious of the other now she knows that he gave henry his number um she sort of implies that there's a problem with that and i can kind of see her point of view but I mean, it is common knowledge that she was with Clay the night of the accident. So, still, I you know, just it just raises her suspicions even more.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that yeah, I mean, like, yeah, creepy, right? Like, why would he have uh, this teenage girl's you know number, And, and why would he reveal that? You know, it's like that's like Nikolai is just playing some deep game here. Um, you know, like I said, you know, the whole thing with what he pulled in the road, like basically pointing Hulche point out to her that you know it's a like people can there there are people who can disappear or jump into other you know he's basically like you giving her something that she could use to fill in the holes in henry's story
0: well, well right i mean she finds out that the blood sample found at thomas's house was bill boone's she thinks she's onto something so do you think he intends to kill her
1: no in, in this uh, incident on the road yeah i don't know what he was or just scare there's no her need for him to do that at all at least to me at this point i don't think I don't understand why he would do that at all. You know, and I don't think he intended to kill her. I, I think he, well, because right, I, it's like he pointed the, the car at her and I guess jumped out. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it's crazy.
0: Well, I think his response would be, if I intended to kill you, you'd be dead. It's kind of an interesting scene because he teleports into her car and then tries to run her over when she opens the door and finds nobody inside. She's freaked out. So where's this going to go? Because now she's this officer whose car has been wrecked, but she didn't wreck it. How is she going to explain this? Well, she just called in. Uh, there was a body in
1: the road. Right. And and so so now what up, happened? to the? And there's not going to be a body. Well, maybe that's what he's trying to do. Just to discredit her right. because she's going to appear like she's out of her mind.
0: More to the point, what does Hulche think just happened? Or is it just so bizarre that but – I, but, I mean, she's an investigator. She's got to come up with something. But at, at this point, we we have no way of knowing what it is she's going to uh, –
1: but, but what do you think? You know, what, think about- what you just saw was the body disappear – your car tried to attack you of its own volition. How,
0: how? But other than that, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, how do you explain that? Would you? Where do you even start with that? Well, now, you do because you've already seen it. But you
0: know, like- well, well, yeah, and <clears throat> and you know that will certainly be part of the next episode. But uh, let, let's jump ahead to Thomas and Jenna and Cleo for a second because I guess the big bombshell he drops on Cleo is that he thinks they should get married. Right. And while his intentions are good and, you know, maybe even pure, it really all has to do with her lack of medical insurance and him wanting to take care of her. And as I said at the top of the show, I mean, he does feel like he loves her. She tells him she loves him, but again, we know her history. So,
1: But she doesn't well, lure him.
0: Yeah, I mean, this time might be different, but we're not
1: well, I, still quite sure. Well, well, she's still married, though, which is really the big prohibitive thing here, right? I, well, sure, so, of course. So, right now, he is—he is
0: right. They have been tested every step of the way through their relationship, and they've come out on the, the sunny side to a certain extent so you know there is that
1: you you gotta pull for thomas swinger for the fences like that you know like yeah so um but uh yeah like in his mind okay this this makes sense there's there's no there's nothing he's not misreading any signals or anything but what he just doesn't know is that she's still married to her ex-husband and so i think she says i'm not ready to get married again it's like well yeah, you're not, you're still married. That's illegal in, in in the United States. So
0: Yeah. Now, you know, we've talked about the impact all of this has had on the kids, and we get that scene where Jenna goes to see the counselor. I guess we're leading up to something, but as Jenna says, the junior year is kicking her butt. And the counselor thinks it has something to do with her still grieving her mother and suggestion suggests that she rejoin the grief group and of course in the middle of this really deep conversation patty comes up pulls her away for some meaningless trifle um you're watching lock and key right no oh you haven't started it yet okay well well the actress that plays patty is in that show as well and while she's not quite as vapid in uh, lock and key as she is here uh, she's in danger of being typecast, but there's also, <laughs> uh, uh, a character who, you know, the actor was in Falling Skies and, uh, you know, I'd suggest when you get a chance, you- you'll like it. But I've seen I it. I understand you're, oh, you've seen Lock oh, and no, Key. Oh, no,
1: Falling Skies, I've seen.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, yeah. but Lock and Key. Yeah. Um, uh, the-, I- the young actor that played Ben Mason. And okay. in- he's one of the central oh, characters.
1: Cool. He was the least interesting of all the Masons, I believe, right? Uh, yeah yeah
0: yeah. now um what you think about jenna telling her dad that i kind of have a boyfriend which yeah you know it's kind of a parallel to henry and cleo momentarily getting closer of course that all blows up on the ride home but i don't know you know we like zach we we just feel like zach's in a no-win situation Uh, and he doesn't know it. uh, he's the only one that doesn't know
1: exactly well uh, Thomas pulls a 21st century parent faux pas here, and he says about how one day that Chen is going to get married, and the other guy is going to be the luckiest guy in the world, which means he's right. just assuming that his daughter is into the guys, and we're pretty sure she's not. That's that's funny because you know, like I, I was I was talking to my daughter. The other day, and I said something about like having kids. I'm like, but that's only if you want to have, like, you don't have to have kids, and just because you think I want you, you know, she's, she was probably just like, oh my God, dad, you know, you're just such an idiot. But, you know, that's like, and I've, I've done it with my kids before. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to assume that you're, you know, hetero or whatever if you're into like the same sex, you know, all right, that's, So, and he just assumes that, and that's that's not something necessarily, uh, you know, a modern parent should really do, because she immediately, like, the camera cuts right to her face, her eyes get kind of big, like, whoa, hey, Dad, he's up there. And then that's when she says, oh, by the way, I've got, you know, so she sees, like, this bonding moment, like, well, since my dad's already thinking about me marrying a guy, let me kind of, like, throw him a little bone here and... You know, reassure him that I'm straight and everything's good, and we just know that that Jenna is, you know, probably a closeted, you know, lesbian who, or at least, or bisexual who is, um, you know, afraid of of what she's starting to feel is is her, of her sexuality, basically, and right. so she's kind of lunging at every opportunity at mainstream sexuality that she gets
0: right. And you know, the,
1: uh, (laughs) I should say traditional, I guess.
0: Right. And, and it's hard as we've said many times, it's hard not to like Zach. He uh, is offered extra lasagna. Thomas starts to get up and Zach's like, no, no, I'll go get it. Grabs his plate and goes in the kitchen. Eh, I know I'm, I know I'm supposed to hate my daughter's boyfriend, but I think he's pretty great. And, you just see the look on Jenna's face, and we're not sure what she wanted her father's reaction to be to Zach, but yeah. And I don't want to say no, this is th- it. I
1: think she wants it to be. No, I think it is. Okay, I think this is a- exactly what she wants. She's like I'm, because yeah, you know, we know how Jenna is really into pleasing other people, right? Um, and so if she sees her. My dad is happy. Because I appear to be a normal, heterosexual, uh, all-American girl, and my dad's happy because of that. He wouldn't probably be quite so happy if he knew that Zachari bowden
0: Yeah, well, yeah, there is
1: that. Just but, saying. Uh,
0: all right, so before we get to the last section, I forgot to tell you, I, I joined a new band, Lucas and the Mennonites. I love it. I mean, nice. I mean, it's a great name for a band
1: <laughs> and you know i was really trying to think of like a, a song title that could go with that and i, I just couldn't go with it you know maybe like you know pray all over oh or, i like it yeah you know, uh, yeah you know, i'm right i'm walking on god's sunshine or i'm walking on crack shine, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, but
1: you know fred white lines you know, I don't fred
0: know. mentions esther being kind of borderline creepy in this episode, and I would certainly agree. So why is she reacting this way with the man who killed her son? I mean, does she feel Lucas merely got caught up in the feud between Jeremiah and Bill? Because that's kind of a reasonable assessment to make. And
1: Yeah, but, I mean, this this guy killed your son. Yeah. uh, You know... Like, she's a religious woman, she's a Christian, all that, but, you know, it seems to me that, that that's a lot of forgiving. Well, to is do. she
0: just setting him up because she, yes, okay, gives him her son's bedroom, she's, you know, taken in some of her son's clothing so that it'll fit Lucas,
1: and... Did you think for a moment that maybe, you know, they were gonna... I
0: did. Yes. Yeah. Don't absolutely. even say i I'm like, it. Man, yes.
1: he's... <laughs> Luke is going to get himself some Mennonite cougar.
0: Right. And, (laughs) you know, the poor guy, he's really struggling with learning to make peace with either himself or with God and her message, which I think is pretty on point, patience and faith. But then she says, stay strong, I have big plans for you. Yeah, that's the line. Which then gets to, I guess, your point that she's really setting him up for a big fall. So...
1: Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that. And honestly, my thought at this point is, you know, she's wants to get the drug business going again, and she needs someone to to be the, you know, the the muscle. Oh, for okay. Her.
0: See, I guess I don't see her as going down that path. I I, I guess I feel I, like I don't
1: either. I'm just trying to think what what could because obviously, I it's it seems like both of us are thinking it's it's beyond what is readily apparent here right you know that the appearances are not what's going on
0: yeah i mean i think she blames her husband and the drug business for her son's death so while she's got to come up with something at least lucas has presented her with enough money to keep the congregation going for a while and i think she even says we're going to dispense the money equally among you know the the members of the congregation or 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 something but the other interesting thing that comes out of this whole sequence is this young mennonite girl susanna who clearly uh, likes lucas and will say you know we we don't know whether she has a crush on him Uh, or not
1: every girl likes a bad boy dave yeah so
0: now but but as you say that i wonder and, and maybe i just missed it does the rest of the congregation know that he killed Amos? I mean, maybe they do.
1: Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. Because you, you you, you kind of think that maybe they do, but I don't know. I mean, maybe some do, but I wonder
0: whether Susanna does and rather than being attracted to the, the bad boy, just attracted to the outsider, the, you know, the, the other. And yeah, um, you know, whether or not he reciprocates again, we'll see, but, you know, still trying to figure out how this whole Mennonite storyline is going to fit into Henry's problems and Henry's life. So, uh, you know, it's still, it's an interesting story because as we were saying, when we were talking about what makes a show binge worthy, I mean, we like Lucas, you know, I mean, at least right. I do.
1: Oh, sure. In, in this episode, he's probably one of the more likable characters in this particular episode, besides Jenna, who I always love, yeah. and Towns, yeah, of course, and Thomas. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you know all the others. man. All right.
0: Um. Anything that we haven't talked about that you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I mentioned the getting hit over the head with the. Uh, large cricket bat of metaphor in here. You know, we <laughs> we talked about you know being dragged through the mud or getting herself muddied or dirtied. Uh, her unwillingness to go back to the the truck, but yet the truck in her dream is like dragging her towards it and everything. Oh, uh, Susanna's dad and the classic get the f away from my daughter move. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then. He's the guy who, when uh, Esther walks up to the pulpit, he gets up to get to the pulpit too, and she just basically stares him down and he sits back down. So it seems like there's this like kind of boiling power struggle here. Anna hasn't put her pictures on her wall yet in her in her apartment or her house or whatever. Okay. Did you see that shot?
0: I, I did. I, I didn't have it in my notes, but now that you mention it, and... I mean, that's curious because you'd think having been named at least interim sheriff that maybe she would feel like she can make a life for herself here. But on the other hand, she's a smart woman and she sees everything that's going on around her that you wonder after she solves whatever is going on, she's just going to get the hell out of Dodge and (laughs) find another town.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take too long to hang up pictures on the wall. So she really has, does not see herself as invested in this, uh, in this community.
0: So, of course, you're talking to. When the- did
1: Henry get her license back, by the way?
0: Uh, I don't think she did. I just think mom lets her drive.
1: Yeah, well, that's not good. No. Uh, they play four non blondes in the car, that that song.
0: Okay. I don't know. It, actually, but-
1: the. It, it, well, it's, uh, whatever, yeah, but it's it's What's Going On, I believe is the name of the song. It's a big hit uh, back in, I think, the early 90s. Uh, but Linda Perry, who was the lead singer for Don Blondes, is still uh, kicking out the hits. The, she writes songs, and other people record them, and she was actually on Broken Record, which I was telling you about, like the okay. Malcolm Gladwell podcast. So uh, Cleo opened up for Marcy Playground. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> A big hit, Sex and Candy. Remember that oh, one? Yeah, I, actually, I do remember that one. Yeah, but you don't remember Four Non Blind. I don't. Curious. I know. I, I gave my son a Nirvana T-shirt for Christmas, and he said it was dope. I, I think. I think that's it. Okay.
0: All right. Well, why don't
2: we move over to listener feedback and see what Fred's got for us this week. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Impulse, season 2, episode 3. First off, in the segment, what are we watching? I want to make a remark because in this episode of Impulse, we see the trouble between Henry and her mother and that her mother is trying very, very hard and Henry is so hurt by how her mother took care of her and what she all didn't tell about her father, etc, etc. Actually, I'm watching several series, let's say five or something, and four of them have this topic in them. So last night we had a Patreon call-in show with the Talk True Media Group, and we also discussed this for Star Trek Picard. And... Actually, in the last Star Trek Picard episode, so episode 5, there is a very nicely played scene between Raffi, which is Picard's old second in command from the period uh, between the movie Nexus and now. And she also has lost a son and had some addiction problems and was not taking care of him very well. And very well played by Michelle Hurt. But nevertheless, same topic. And Dave, you know that, uh, for instance, in Sex Education, which Wayne doesn't watch, of course, is the topic of Maeve having her mother in her caravan, camper, whatever you call that, where she lives. And her her mother comes with her little sister and tries to crash with her and is saying things like, my life got better, etc. Can we reconnect? And even in Batwoman, and I'm only in for the sixth episode, we see that the father of Kate and Beth, a.k.a. Alice, is also trying to reconnect to his daughters. So it's really crazy watching, let's say, five series and four series have this topic in it. And talking about that last night, I noticed that for some people this is really a big, big topic. Losing connection with your children, trying to reconnect. And of course, as a geneticist drawing a lot of pedigrees, I know this is happening everywhere. So in that sense, it's logical that this topic occurs in more series. On the other hand, it's very difficult topic for a lot of people to watch, because they experience that in their own lives, children as well as parents. Last thing about this you could wonder what is a Patreon call-in show. Well actually that is Patreons for Patreons in the sense of you do a roundtable and that's only available to the Patreons and you only can call in if you're on a Patreon. Actually the word already says it. And of course you should have some Patreons to let that work. Okay, about this episode of Impulse, I think Maddie Hessen is getting better and better in her role. I found it really amazing how she plays this scene with her mother in the car where she gets angry. Fortunately, she stopped the car when she really got angry. I was actually expecting she would teleport, but okay, she didn't. Really, really good acting. And fully into the topic I just discussed. For me, as a Dutch guy, it's very strange to see Henry as a 16-year-old drive this car. In the Netherlands, you only can get your driver's license from 18 onward. Well, you can start practicing before that age, but you have to be 18. And I think Cleo's reaction was very appropriate. Although it's very difficult for Cleo as well. But she says, okay, realize... I have to take care of you, but on the other hand, I am an own person, have my own life as well. I'm entitled to make my own mistakes and have my own pain. But talking to a 16-year-old about this is probably not coming through, because they have their focus too much on themselves. Puberty is an egocentric phase of your life anyhow. But as high school teachers, I don't have to explain that to you, I think. I didn't fully understand the scene with Anna, Hulce and Nikolai. Does he really think she is such a threat that he has to kill her? She's keen and she did survive. But seeing this guy teletransport will give her other insights and will probably start believing the story of Bill and Clay. She did send in that drop of blood we saw two episodes ago in close-up for DNA analysis, and now she knows it's Bill Boone's. So when it was filmed in close-up, we could fully expect that it would play a role later. We still don't know what these dreams are in the muddy, rainy forest where she sees her father. Now she finds... Apart from that picture, she finds playing cards. And of course, that's a connection when she finds a set of playing cards later in this box at the house of her mother's friend. It's a pity we didn't see more of this notebook. It's obviously one of her father's with some dark-like analysis of things that happened to him, etc. How often he gets his seizures or whatever. But I have the impression she didn't take it, so she left it. Or did they take the whole box with them? I think this uh, notebook will come back later, and some stuff that's written in there. And her father was not staying in India, now we find out it was Sri Lanka. Well, that's more or less the same. I've been there too in 1990. On the other hand, she was, when she was in Sri Lanka, standing on the beach... And of course you can do that in India. But in uh, relativity, of course, Sri Lanka has more coastline to its surface than India. Being an island, you have a bigger chance to land up at the coast. The biggest puzzle, of course, remains what is dream and what is real. Because we now saw she thought, okay, I have to put this picture in my pocket to check whether this is a dream or real. And then... When she arrives back, then the picture is gone. On the other hand, after some of these dreams, she lands up in bed with muddy feet. So that's inconsistent. The interaction between Esther Miller and Lucas Boone creeps me out a little bit. The fact that she offered him to sleep in Amos' bed was the highlight of that. I don't know in which direction that will go. Very difficult to predict. Okay, we have to wait to get clarity there. This is all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands.
0: All right. Now, I got the impression way back in the discussion, you didn't think so much about this whole uh, parent-child relationship thing that seems to be transcending all these different TV series, or did I just misunderstand you?
1: No, I just I just don't like the heavy handed way that was dealt with in this particular episode.
0: Oh okay, okay. Because because I like, you know, what Fred says about the whole idea of, of losing connection with children as they get older as yeah. this universal theme. And I, I really think that is something that's good to explore, although like Fred, I find it interesting that that four of the five shows he's currently watching are all exploring that theme and including Picard, I believe he said. So, uh, yeah. is that.
1: I, I take exception to the fact that he thinks I'll never watch sex education. I was just saying in that one episode that they were treating the, the teenagers having sex and they were filming it and portraying it in a way that was, uh, like, you know, like almost like you would see with, adult like it was meant to be alluring okay. and i was just like i don't know if you should be doing that so much you know so because most of the time when when they show teenage sex it's like what teenage sex at least when i remember it from when i was a teenager, is being very awkward and bad so i don't know so i and, and i've heard a lot of good things about sex education so i just want to open up that uh if if someday that uh uh, I, I included it in what I'm watching this week that Fred doesn't think of a hypocrite. Okay. Now,
0: he brings up Maddie Hassan, the actress that plays Henry, and I want to say you probably disagree that she's really growing into her role and that the acting that we see in this episode is great because I you agree know. with Fred, but I would argue...
1: Well, you're both wrong.
0: Well, see, I would argue that your <laughs> dislike for her that borders on intense dislike means that she's really doing a good job with that character. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, yeah okay.
1: good point. I should really blame the writers for, okay. for, for, yeah. Okay. But Not yet. Yeah. Mad Hance is doing a good, a good job. Right. Cause she, she kind of nails it, but unfortunately, you know, it's a little too much. Yeah. Um, it's not her fault.
0: Right. And then of course, you know, the whole idea of the dream versus reality and you know the inconsistency or unexplained nature of it, and, and you know I, I got the impression Fred maybe is leaning more towards your side of the argument that this is, while maybe not bad writing, yeah, n- <laughs> not good writing, and that that there right. are just too many holes here that they're going to have to fill in and. You know, while they still have well over half a season to do that, uh, you know, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna take some good writing to, <laughs> to get out of this hole that they're digging yeah, themselves into. I should say better, better writing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he talks about Cleo's admission that she understands that she's failed as a mother in a lot of respects, but that her pain. Related to everything that went on with Simon is just as valid as Henry's pain. And I guess my reaction would be, I understand that and you're right, but you're the adult. She's the child, you know, that, that you've got to do a better job of dealing with your own pain because you've got this four year old who then becomes, you know, five and six and so on. And, you know, it's just now when she's 16 and, you know, for all intents and purposes, already an adult, you know, now you have this epiphany that you've been a bad mother. But maybe that's not fair because she's never.
1: Uh, I don't think she's. I was just going
0: to say that's maybe not fair because she's never abandoned Henry. She's always been there in her own way and not perfect, but just just deeply flawed so you know that's all yeah
1: well and also i feel like this this is something that they have already hashed out right? we've already been through the mom you've dragged me all over it's not fair wah, 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 bit okay they, they went through that whole thing and i thought that that was solved and now she's bringing it up all over again well that's true yeah you know, that's what i'm just saying it was just like it, it was just like they, they're they're trying to. Okay, we want Henry to be a disagreeable, you know, emotional teenager. Uh, how many ways can we do it in one episode? You know, and, and at the end, it's like, no, you're not. Like I said, like my 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 thing is like, obviously, they're trying to go for. We want to make her into a realistic teenage character, and they really did. Okay. They just made her into a very annoying character, who no one likes. Okay. Fair enough. So
0: All right, Fred, thank you for the feedback. Great as always, which then leads us to that point in the podcast that I would say two thirds of the time we remember and a third that we forget. Uh letter grade, I'm I'm guessing it's not gonna be real high this week for you. I'm gonna give
1: it a solid B. Okay. And that,
0: say that's what I expected from you. Uh I'm I'm going B plus at this point. I've considered A minus, but yeah. Again, I think there are some things about it not not so much the things that concern you, but but just other things you that... just can't admit it. Well, yeah, I can, but I guess I'm. Yeah. No.
1: I. I, I listen. Like, unlike the last time when I, I went off about episode, um, I, I I saw a lot of redeeming things about this episode. Right. Right. I just was really just put off by the the portrayal of Henry. And then we start talking about. Binge-worthy episodes, and one of the, you know, the first thing we mentioned was character and likable characters, and you know, hey, I mean, even even Doctor Smith in Lost in Space has her moments, you know. Well, I guess Henry does too. I, it's it's unfair for me. I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to judge Henry because, like I said, it started off not great. She got to be a pretty cool character, and then, but just the last couple episodes, it seems like she's falling into like this insular kind of uh you know like just kind of thinking about herself and you can tell because she's starting to to you know shut out jenna and her mom like her favorite targets are the easiest that's another thing like right it's like she's going off on like the people that's easiest for her to go off on like her mother and jenna the people who have really opened themselves the most to her are the people she likes to slap down when she gets in these you know, when they decide to write her like this. And I just want a little bit more consistency, you know? Like, obviously, you can't make her like this all the time because then no one will watch the show. So just have her have, like, one outburst rather than the whole episode. She's just, she you know, being petulant with her mom, with Jenna, with Towns, with Nikolai. It's like, come on. There's got to be some balance here. Okay.
0: All right. I agree so
1: sorry all right well let's you just me to shut up i know
0: <laughs> all right well we're gonna leave it there uh, i think that's a good place to stop this discussion you know so we, we've got a we got a ways to go i think things are going to turn um you know next week we've got the season finale or actually series finale uh, of doctor who and i don't mean that doctor who's not coming back but the classic who they referred to them as seasons new who series they refer to them as series so uh we've got the did they series 12
1: classic was the other i thought it was the other way around
0: no so we've got the series 12 finale coming up next week so maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about that not you know not a lot um we haven't talked any doctor who in a while been at least a couple weeks so uh anyway before we go too far off tangent here at the end that'll do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about impulse uh dark which is now only a couple months away or so it would seem encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community uh if you want to send us an email the address is sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com you can leave us a voicemail using the SpeakPipe tab, which is on the website, or you can just record your own clip and send it as an attachment. We'll be back next week to talk about Impulse Season 2, Episode 4, titled The Moroy. But until then...
1: You know, I, I, may, I may have been too hard on this episode, Dave, because you know what? Bad things have a way of looking right sometimes.